Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brant. And on this episode, we're discussing SST 254. The Trotsky Ice Pick presents Danny and the Doorknobs Poison Summer. Always love getting into a Trotsky Ice Pick episode. Technically, this is Danny and the Doorknobs, but it's it's Trotsky Ice Pick as well. Um, I mean, we just we just had John Talley Jones join Trotsky Ice Pick on the last episode, and now we're going back to the first release, and we've already done a Poison Summer record, but now we're doing a different Poison Summer record. In the in the Trotsky Ice Pick world, this all makes sense, and can't wait to go through it on this episode. Before we do that, Brent, why don't you hit me with some spiels? Okay, it's Wheel of Spiel this week, Ryan. Oh, what do I get to pick from? I, and I need you to whisper the answer to me, okay? <laughs> why? Do you want a book report or do you want a rock doc? I want both, but I'll go with book report. You get the book report. <laughs> book report. Book report. Book report. So it's a family man? <laughs> I, I got you. Okay, give me the book report. Okay. Into the Void from Birth to Black Sabbath and Beyond by Geezer Butler. So I've read pretty much every book available on Sabbath, including Ozzy's and Tony's book. Um, and Ronnie James Dio's book as well. Um, this is the best one written by a member of the band. Uh, Glenn Hughes' book is was also quite good. If you know, I guess technically he was a con- considered a member of the band as well. What about uh, uh, Terry Chimes' book? What about Terry Chimes' book? Well, have you read that one about Black Sabbath? No. Oh well, maybe you haven't read every single one. Keep going. <laughs> uh, my favorite books are one called Sabbath Bloody Sabbath: The Battle. For Black Sabbath by Gary Sharp Young. No idea if it's still available. I've had it for quite a while. It really dials in on the post-Aussie era, which I'm just fascinated by, especially the Tony Martin era. It's been rumored for years that those albums are going to be reissued, and Iommi himself confirmed it earlier this year, but he's he, I think he's kind of said that before, so we'll see what happens with those albums. But the Tony Martin era definitely needs to be reappraised because those are great albums. Another really great unauthorized Sabs book is How Black Was Our Sabbath by David Tangai and Graham Wright, who were both in the Sabbath road crew for most of the 70s. There's several other great Sabbath books, like Mick Wall's book on the band or Martin Popoff's two-volume set, uh, but Geezer's book is right up there for me. So what makes it one of the best ones? Uh, well, I mean, like, if you're a close follower of the band, you're not going to learn tons you didn't already know. But he does go into detail about every album that he played on, uh, including the post-Aussie material that, that he was involved in. Talks a lot about songwriting, including the meaning behind many of the lyrics. He wrote almost all of the lyrics during the Aussie era. Uh, he's had some well-documented mental health struggles. Uh, he talks candidly about, about them, which is super important to do. So I, I don't know. I just enjoyed it. Awesome. Yep. Sounds good. Okay, speaking of well-documented mental health struggles, Ryan, I also plowed through this book, I, Danny McCormick, Once a Wild Heart, Always a Wild Heart, by Danny McCormick and Guy Shankland. Not sure how much I've talked about my love of the band The Wild Hearts, especially their first album, Earth vs. The Wild Hearts, which is an all-time classic, but when I saw that this book existed, I happily coughed up the 60 bucks it cost me to, to buy it and have it shipped from the UK. Guy is a writer in a bunch of magazines that I routinely pick up, such as Vive La Rock. So I already knew who he was. I knew he was a good writer. Danny is or was the bassist in the Wild Hearts, but other bands uh, like the Yo-Yos, who released a totally un- unappreciated album on Sub Pop. Oh yeah, and a single on Sub Pop too. Those are killer. Yep. Any fan of the Wild Hearts knows they're one of the most dysfunctional bands in the history of music, uh, the, but the book is still pretty shocking at times. Danny um, is bipolar, spent decades kind of self-medicating with heroin, crack, speed, every drug in, in between. Um, before he was finally diagnosed and kind of properly medicated. At one point, he's talking about how he, when he was on the road with the Wild Hearts, he would ingest, like, swallow his drugs in balloons or put them in what he calls his prison wallet. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, the ba- band had such a bad rep and would be searched so often, he would shit in a bag, 
shove his drugs up his ass and then shove a frozen turd up there. And that way, when they did cavity searches, by that point, the turd would be thawed and they wouldn't find the drugs because they would be behind this turd. Oh my God. <laughs> he also bust his, uh, burst his femoral artery sh- shooting drugs into it and had to have his leg amputated below the knee. I wish, you know, you could have left the turd part for when I, when I read the book myself, but thanks. Mental health and addictions issues aside, he also goes into great detail about, you know, all of his bands, the tours, the songwriting, recording sessions, and of course, many uh, of the ups and downs and breakups and reformations of the Wild Hearts. It's a great book. Loved it. Hey, is that the last book you have to mention? Yep. Hey, I saw a book out there. I don't know if it's new, but you're a fan of Porcupine Tree, right? Uh, some of it, not all yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Porcupine Tree book out on Rocket 88. I don't know if you oh. knew about that Rocket 88 book that just came out about Porcupine Tree. And it's super artistic with mm. tons of artist versions and stuff. I don't, I don't know if, uh, like that's a lot of money to order from Rocket 88 as well, but I knew you kind of liked Porcupine Tree, so thought I'd mention that. Oh, yeah, thanks. I'll check that out for sure. Real quick, Ryan, before we move on to your spiels, uh, I have to give a podcast shout-out. Watt was finally on Jello Biafra's Renegade Roundup podcast. Did you, oh, yeah. Did you listen yeah, yeah. to it? Yeah, yeah, I totally. I had to mention that to you, but you go first. Well, it went exactly the way you would expect. Listening to Jello try and get answers to his questions is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> listening, I never get tired of listening to Watt just get so excited talking about Arena Rock and Nuren, Nuremberg rallies. Yeah. <laughs> like it's the first time he's ever talked about it every time. Yeah, almost every story you've heard before on that. But the one thing I love the most is how how Mike Watt says Jello. Did you catch that? Jella? Yeah, hey, yeah. hey, Jella, Jella. <laughs> I just got to tell you, Jella. Yeah. It's uh, like he's he's calling him a fella yeah. and and he's calling him Jella. And I, I'm now probably just always going to call him Jella. They do, yeah. They do, you know, get into some interesting stuff about, you know, Jello gets Watt to dial down about his deep appreciation for the music of John Coltrane, for example. Indeed, yeah. They talk a fair amount about the Stooges. Um, Jello goes on this total tangent about his love for Rory Gallagher, which was amazing to hear. He's one of my favorite guitarists. So that was cool. About how he missed these gigs, yeah. and he's he's still kicking himself to this day. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't heard it, do yourself a favor and block off an, an hour and a half. It's worth it. Yeah, Watt and Jella. It yeah. doesn't get any better. Yeah. What do you have, Ryan? This week, Brent, I've got uh, a few on the SS Tree that I have to mention. Some new releases, okay? Uh, okay. So the first two are Raymond Pettibone-related releases. And the first one I'll mention is out on ORG or Org Records called Only Fan. And the combo is called Sing Song Sung. And the record is Only Fan. This is a new collective rock band. Raymond provided various artists with original lyrics and texts to be set to music. Guitarist Ricky Sepulveda sings most of the songs. Raymond sings some of them. The advertising says uh, influences range from Arthur Lee and Love to uh, Bobby Darren to the Bobby Fuller Four. Total 60 sound if you've checked it out. Apparently the band is going to perform live in 2023 and 2024. And of course the Pettibone artwork is totally on point. And I can't think of a better Pettibone related album title than Only Fan. It's just so <laughs> Pettibone. Uh, the other Pettibone related release is uh, another release by the Pettibone Oliver Augst combo. This seven inch is out on Squama Records. Now, Pettibone and Oliver have had some releases before on the Brigade Commerce super limited vinyl artist label. Um, there, there's actually like an artist edition of this seven inch, uh, but it's impossible to get. There's like 30 copies, but this is a more uh, readily available version on Squama Records. Oliver Augst is a sound collage artist. And then, of course, put to Pettibone's lyrics. It's totally out there. And, of course, the uh, the old steam engine train Raymond Pettibone cover artwork is also on point for that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, two more on the SS Tree. 
Um, I think we have mentioned these before, but at least we've got like release dates or these are up for pre-order now. The next one I want to mention is uh, the new record by Divine Horseman. Yeah. Bitter, en- Bitter End of a Sweet Night out on October 27th on In the Red. This is their second reunion album. The lead single, Bitter End, just sounds like classic Divine Horseman. And uh, Chris and Julie's lyrics are just pure poetry when you uh, listen to that lead-off single. Just awesome. Yeah, I can't wait, man. Yeah. And then finally, Brant. I don't know who's on first, but... Watts on bass. You got that right. You got that right. MSSV, main steam stop valve. You're, Another... you're still ex- as excited for that joke as as uh, Watt is about Nuremberg trials. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's better than Watts up. Give me a break, man. Watts on bass. Come on. Um, okay. MSSV, main steam stop valve. This is their latest release. Human Reaction, out on that amazing label, Big Ego Records. I'm not sure I've heard anything on Big Ego that I don't like. And they've got their uh, you know, their record club that you can subscribe to on Big Ego Records. Chris Schlarb, just an amazing label. I love all that music. This is, of course, this combo is Mike Baguetta, Mike Watt, and Stephen Hodges. This is out on September the 1st, and it's up for pre-order. And MSSV is going on like a 40 date tour for like you know the latter half of 2023 they're just going to be total road hogs check them out i wish i could they're only doing two stops in canada but it's way out east i don't have a chance in hell of going but i wish i could i bet you it would just be a killer show um i'll it'll just have to do to uh, listen to the new human reaction lp by this combo yeah and that's it man that's four releases on the ss tree since last episode keep them coming all right, man, you want to get into this Danny and the Doorknobs? I mean, Trotsky Ice Pick record? You know I do. History lesson, part one. All right, so we've been through the Trotsky Ice Pick slash Danny and the Doorknobs history a few times on the show, but given what this episode entails, it bears a bit of repeating, but if you want the ultra deep dive, definitely go back to episode 197 the first release on SST by Trotsky Ice Pick, the excellent baby record. You got to check that record out. And we do a deep dive there. We start all the way back at the urinals and we go all the way to the end to all of the uh, the most recent releases by Trotsky Ice Pick and Danny and the Doorknobs. We also, since episode 197, we had episode 239, the Poison Summer record. And then we had episode 246, most recently, the El Cabong record where we had john tally jones on the show so it's so weird like we the last trotsky ice pick record we had was when they got a new singer and now we're going all the way back to when they were a trio they were going to release every record entitled poison summer just under a different band name and then there's this release sst 254 danny and the doorknobs poison summer but it's trotsky ice pick presents it's a repurposed version of the very, very first LP by this band, Poison Summer, on Old Scratch Records. And of course, not the first recording by Kel Johansson and Vitas Matare. Kel, of course, had left 100 Flowers. Vitas had left the last. They got together, and they first appeared on the Happy Squid Sampler with the song Melody. Um, and that Happy Squid Sampler we just mentioned a couple of episodes ago, it's been re-released, which is really, really cool. And then, of course, Kel and Vetus were joined by John Frank on drums, also from the last. They put out the, the Poison Summer record, also the Whispering Glades and In Exile, 7 Inch in 1984. All those tracks from those two releases, the Poison Summer LP and the Whispering Glades In Exile single, are on this new version in some shape or form. Yeah, and that's that's kind of how we get to SST two fifty four. So yeah, essentially the original version of this album was released by the band under the name Danny and the Doorknobs in nineteen eighty six on their label Old Scratch Gramophone. The title of the full length is Poison Summer. You mentioned the lineup already. Uh, there's a couple of friends on the album as well, uh, w- which we'll talk about when we go through the tracks. The original was recorded July seventeenth through nineteen. 1983 at Radio Tokyo in Venice to 8-track by Ethan James. So like Vetus told us when we had him on the show, 
the the idea was to use a different band name every time they played a show. The joke being that all these different bands are putting out an album with the same song, same album title, which is why the next album, 1986's Trotsky Ice Pick, is also called Poison Summer. But I mean, really, I consider this album a Danny and the Doorknobs record, not a Trotsky Ice Pick record. Like, oh, really? you're a purist that way? Well, I'm just saying, like, the SST version is called Trotsky Ice Pick Presents, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's because they had picked the name Trotsky Icepick and they were going to stick with that, right? Yeah. yeah, Greg Ginn, I believe it was, who put a stop to the idea when they signed, <laughs> when they signed to SST. Uh, so they stuck with Trotsky Icepick. In 1989, the same year SST put out Trotsky's El Cabong, and re- also the same year they reissued the Trotsky Poison Summer, they also reissued this release as Trotsky Icepick Presents. Uh, they remixed it at Lyceum, and the tracks are in a different order from the Poison Summer release. It also, as you mentioned, tacks on some some extra tracks, which we'll get to when we uh, when we get to History Lesson Part Two. I'll just read you something. I, I got a bunch of stuff from uh, Kale and from Vetus for this episode, Ryan. So I'm going to read you what they what they sent me here. Kind of an overview of of this era. Here's Vetus, 1983. The last had imploded yet again. Manager Gary Stewart resigned, having funded a series of last demos at Radio Tokyo produced by Bill Inglot that failed to garner major label interest. Gary's lease was about to run out on the original Lyceum Studio location on Lyceum Avenue in Mar Vista. Gary would no longer be footing the bill for our space that had allowed the last, Long Riders, Gun Club, Tex and the Horseheads, Descendants, Urinals, 100 Flowers, Savage Republic, Leaving Trains, Rain Parade, Toxic Shock, and a host of many, many others to rehearse free of charge. Wow. Joe Nolte and I never agreed on the effectiveness of Bill Inglot's production on the Painting Smiles LP, which I liked, and we returned to Ethan James' Radio Tokyo studio to record The Last with Dennis Duck on drums, and we were producing ourselves. Joe was not pleased with the initial results, and so those sessions were also scrapped. After a brief period of various last lineups and implosions, including Hunter Crowley and the return of David and Mike Nolte, I propose that we go back to Radio Tokyo with just John Rosewall on bass and John Frank on drums. We rehearsed a set of undocumented songs, mostly written by Joe, and set a recording date. This time, I booked three days of studio time, but Joe canceled the eve of our first session. That was the end of the last. Kale Johansson agreed to jump in overnight, and we tracked a slew of tentative song ideas and also a few leftovers. It was one of my best memories ever working in the studio as Kale and I took tracks, tracking our rough arrangements with John Frank on drums. So Ryan, this was like recorded basically on a whim like it was it was supposed to be a last recording session joe you know bailed on it so vetus called up kale and the three of them with john frank kind of just cranked this out yeah it sure doesn't sound that way no no it It sounds totally fully formed and of the era vetus goes on the tapes from this session lay around until the new lyceum location was up and running in early 1985 We issued a cassette to friends of most of the new tunes and ultimately a 7-inch of what we felt were the best two tracks, In Exile and Whispering Glades. A 12-inch was hastily issued on Old Scratch Gramophone once the Poison Summer LP by Trotsky Icepick was ready to, to release. So like the original Old Scratch version of this came out a couple years later. Years later, after the Baby LP was released on SST, we reassembled this this slightly improved version of the record for SST 254. Here's what Kale told me about the sessions. He said, The most fun I've ever had in the studio, recording and composing songs on the fly, experimenting with no idea where we were headed, and laughing my ass off on a regular basis. Ryan, I also found this um, article on this blog called Bored Out. Ryan Leach is the guy who, who uh, I guess, runs this blog. Not sure if we mentioned it before. I'm pretty sure we've, we've, we have maybe on an episode with the last 
it's got lots of great interviews on this blog in, with people like Joe Nolte, uh, an excellent one with Jim Ruland. Um, there's a four-part oral history of the gun club up on this board out blog with um, quotes from many of the members. Kira, Paul Rossler, John Talley Jones get, gets interviewed. Um, and I believe Ryan Leach is also behind Space Case Records. Yes, I think so too. Yep. Who released the, uh, or who re-released the Happy Squid Sampler, also that Urinals book. Yeah. Um, and Kale Johansson gets interviewed on this board out blog. So here's a, here's a little section I pulled from that. Kale says, I guess the first precursor was Danny and the Doorknobs. We decided to turn that project into a real band. Vetus came up with the name Trotsky Icepick. As Vetus explains it, Trotsky Icepick is slang for when a sound man pushes the faders all the way up at a sound check, causing excessive feedback through the monitors. You get that right in your ear and it hits you like an ice pick. We needed folks to round out the band. Jamie Lennon, our drummer John Frank's friend, came in and played keyboards and keyboard bass. That filled out our sound for recording and for live shows. The first album was called Poison Summer by Danny and the Doorknobs. Vetus came up with the idea of keeping the name of the albums the same, but changing the name of the band for every release. Of course, the opposite is, is almost always the case. You keep the band name and change the names of the records. <laughs> <laughs> the second record is Poison Summer by Trotsky Icepick. We ran into the problem of having a couple of releases. We were playing shows and we felt it. we might be throwing it away with the name change, changes. The concept lasted two albums. We joked about changing the name a third time, but never followed through on the threat. And then Ryan says, what was Trotsky Icepick like early on before you signed to SST? Was it more of a side project? Here's Kale. It was the only music project that I was involved in. I believe it was also the only music group the other members were involved in as well. It wasn't a side project. Part of the difficulty was that as we were doing Danny and the Doorknobs, I was still in law school. I just didn't have a lot of time available around then. When I passed the bar and got a job, that's when Vetus and I started playing again and taking it more seriously. That's when we came up with the second Poison Summer by Trotsky Icepick. We played at Texas Hotel Records, a little shop in Santa Monica. We played at Club 88, Club Lingerie, and a few other places. We were playing shows regularly, but not pushing it as hard as the last, the urinals, or 100 Flowers. But after the second record had come out and some gigging, I don't think Vetus was happy with the direction of the band, so he dissolved it. But we still wanted to go forward. That's when we recruited a new drummer, Jason Kahn, and bass player, John Rosewall, for the Baby album in 1988. That's where we started playing more, getting on more bills, doing some light touring and SST also became interested. So basically they record this album on a whim in 1983, release it in 85, but they're not super active. Kale's super busy in, you know, going to school, etc. Then when Trotsky gets going and they start playing shows, I think that's when they decide to kind of put this record out for the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're searching for this record, Ryan, on... Um, Spotify and stuff. It is on there for people who don't have it. Uh, the band reissued this on their Poison Summer label in 2020, so you can hear that on their Bandcamp or it's it's up on streaming. It's closer to the SST version, actually, in some ways. I, but essentially, there's three versions of this record, I would say. There are, yeah. There's the yeah. original um, Old Scratch version. There's the SST version. And then there's the... I guess the remastered version. Yeah. If you are searching for it, Ryan, it's under the original name though, Danny and the Doorknobs for people who, who don't have it. If you want to hear that very first Danny and the Doorknobs track that you mentioned, as least as far as I'm aware, you can pick that up on the newly reissued Happy Squid Sampler. Um, Vetus was kind enough to send us each a copy. Thanks again, Vetus. Also on that release are experimental synth musician Phil Bedell, who also had a 7-inch on Happy Squid, avant-garde L.A. band Neef, and another somewhat forgotten L.A. band The Vidiots. And there's a urinals track on there as well. And, and a track by their kind of improv 
uh, project, Arrow Book Club. Here's what Vetus told me about that first track. That's just John Frake and I recorded on an old stereo machine. I tried adding a harmony vocal directly into the mix as I transferred and balanced the two channels. Of the many things we recorded, that is the only one to be released before the In Exile single with Kale Johansson. Mm -hmm. uh, John Franken and I recorded dozens of songs to four track or even direct to cassette. I would drop these tapes off in the wee hours of the morning at the Nolte residence in Hermosa Beach. Occasionally, Joel Nolte would pull one of the songs to add to the last set list. So that's cool, Ryan. This these kind of this song you can hear on the Happy Squid sampler. There's at some point there was several of these kicking around demos, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah, the song melody. Yeah, the original seven inch came out on 1980 on Happy Squid in partnership with the Centipede Foundation, which was Neef's label. It's pretty much set up as a split, I would say. The Neef track is on side two, and the Happy Squid bands are on side one. We've talked about all this before, Ryan, but just. To, to recap for listeners, also around the time Trotsky rebooted as a band um, for the I Haunted Myself album and World War X single, they also rebooted Danny and the Doorknobs with the excellent 2019 album Jukebox in the L.A. River and the Birthday Wishes 7-inch. It's Vetus, Kale, John Frank, along with Tom Hofer, Tom Watson, John Talley Jones, John Rosewall, Jamie Lennon, Pretty much the whole gang, minus, you know, Hunter Crowley yeah, and uh, Mike Patton. Kale just sent us copies. I know you already had it, Ryan, uh, but I didn't. So it's uh, super sweet of Kale to, to send that to us. Since we're dipping into the kind of the Mojack mailbag a bit, Ryan, Kale also sent copies of the Circlons EP. Yeah. Uh, which is was released in 22. It's called When Only the Music is Pretty on Poison Summer Records. You can check it out on Circlons, thecirclons.com, poisonsummerrecords.com. Pick up a copy. It's Kale, Steve Andrews on guitars, Tom Hofer on bass, Hunter Crawley on drums. It's kind of a four-track EP. I, I would say a teaser for their full length, hopefully. I hope so, yeah. Yeah. Each of the four tracks have a guest vocalist. I Want to Be on Your Radio, Not in Your Arms is pure power pop with John Talley Jones on vocals. The title track is kind of a sweeping Baroque pop song with Adam Marsland of Cockeyed Ghost on vocals. The song Blue Cheer is a soul rocker belted out by the always amazing Lisa Kakula of The Bell Rays. Yeah. And then Moon Over Babaluma is kind of psych psychedelic kraut rock featuring Barbara Manning on vocals. Barbara has been in a zillion bands, including 28th Day. There's some great tunes on that jukebox in the L.A. River, including a tune Vetus wrote in 1982 called Painting Smiles on a Dead Man, presumably written for the last, but not included on their 1983 album of the same name. <laughs> right. Maybe that song, Ryan, was originally one of these demos. Maybe. That he dropped off at Joe Nolte's house. Yeah. So, Ryan, to recap, recorded July 17th through 19, 1983, released by the band in 1985, remixed and reissued by SST in 1989 with extra tracks in a, and in a different sequencing on LP, CD, and cassette. Yeah, so I think remix is the right way to put it. When I look at Trouser Press and the review of this record, it suggests something different though, so check this out. And it's in the Trotsky Ice Pick section of the Trouser Press uh, record guide under the Danny and the Doorknobs uh, subheading, I guess. And it says recorded two years prior to its 1985 release, Danny and the doorknobs clear vinyl poison summer is a neat little pop record underproduced and haphazard perhaps, but sprinkled with good songs like the title track and skillfully varied arrangements granted a more explanatory title. This debut was later overhauled replacing several tracks with vintage outtakes remixed and reissued in an inferior sleeve as Trotsky Icepick presents Danny and the Doorknobs in Poison Summer. Mm. So that's an interesting take on it. I'm not sure that, I'm pretty sure that uh, Kel and Vetus have it right. Yeah. Um, but I do love that it's on clear vinyl. It's just too bad it's not pressed on Hanodisc vinyl. <laughs> too, 
Too bad. Yeah, too bad. Yeah. Let's go through these tracks, Ryan. History lesson, part two. So this is a tricky one to listen to if you're going to A-B between the vinyl and the CD and the single, but I did it, and uh, hopefully you can walk us through it okay. Yeah, I think I can. For reference, Ryan, we're going to be uh, discussing the SST CD version as we go through this. It's the closest to the what you can hear on Spotify, for example, and it's also got all the tracks. So track one is Whispering Glades, written by Vetus. This one features Jamie Lennon on organ, who ended up joining Trotsky for the 1986 Poison Summer album. Right off the bat, completely different from the old Scratch version. This song isn't even on the old Scratch version. It's the B-side of the 1985 single they released prior to the full length. Yep. Recorded at the same session as the album tracks. It's also the longest song at nearly four and a half minutes. Here's what Vetus told me about this song. Written in 1975 when I spent a semester abroad, inspired by a family I visited and the philosophical ramblings of their centenarian grandfather who still tended to a square mile of lavender fields on a daily basis. Kale is on bass and Jamie Lennon, aka Jimmy Lennon Jr., on transistor organ. The introduction is lifted from a 1950s radio show, The Crickets Were My Contribution. He's talking about the start of the song has a bit of a sample. Yeah, on the LP, it's on a different track, that sample. Yeah. <laughs> Here's Kale. This is one of my all-time favorite Vetus compositions. Spooky, dreamy, slow-crawling, hypnotic. No one else before or after has sounded like this. Brilliant. I hit the right notes on bass and stayed in tune. A moral victory. One thing I love about this track, though, is uh, like Jamie's keyboards. They've got a total Jerry Harrison with the Modern Lovers sound to it, and I love it. Yeah, I said Ray Manzarek, actually. It might be kind of the downbeat minor chord feel of this song, but to me it's Doors-esque, this song. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I love Vetus's voice. That part in the chorus where he briefly dips into falsetto is just so spot on. Yeah. Interesting choice to open the record with this one. Works for me. I dig it. Yeah, you definitely ease into the record with this track, I would say. It's a great great song, though. Yeah. And the next one is the, um, the title track, I guess, Poison Summer, written by Kale and Vetus. Here's what Vetus told me. This song is based entirely on a drum guitar jam Kale and John Frank cooked up in the studio. Lyrically, we intended to contest Don Henley's remembrances of the Summer of Love, that bit of nostalgia went down in flames and could be ushered away with some overly sentimental faux strings. No boys of summer for us. Here's Kale. John Rosewall's bass overdub adds the right amount of drive and finesse to keep things musically interesting. Another great Vetus song title. Almost for me, Ryan, Gang of Four style riffing here with Vetus on some with some interesting sounds on the keys. That the keys almost gave it like a Susie and the Banshees feel to me, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a funky post punk track. Uh, John Rosewall on the bass is a highlight for me for sure. It's not the one that I thought of on the record when uh, I heard Gang of Four, though. So interesting. Yeah, well, there's a few that kind of have a UK post punk feel to them. Totally. Yeah, this this is the song that opens up the original LP, the old scratch version. The next song is In Exile. This is uh, written by Kale. It's also the A-side of the single. It's also on the original album. Kale Johansson on vocals, which is perfect for the atmosphere of the song. It's kind of a, a moody song. Love those parts at the beginning and the end when someone's kind of picking strings behind the nut. Vetus's flute solo is perfect for the mood of this song. Just love it. Flute and clarinet. It's funny, when you look at the the single there's more detail on the tracks and like Kel is listed as guitars eight string bass vocals Vetus gets guitar clarinet flute vocals uh, John Frank is listed as Hans Frankenstein yeah dr drums and assorted loud noises um, but clarinet for sure it has for me this track it was really hard for me not to reference both the killing joke song 80s and then of course Nirvana 
come as you are, but this is a very kind of common structure. Yeah. Um, so it's not, those aren't the only three songs that you hear this in, but it was hard not to uh, think of it, but this is uh, totally their own. And I would agree like the flute and clarinet totally sets it off. Here's what Vetus and Kale told me about in, in exile. Vetus, Kale and John Frank on eight string bass and drum kit jam. I, so that might be like the, you know, the eight string bass probably contributed to that sound maybe, hey? Oh, the eight string bass? For yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. K, uh, Vita says, I contributed only the flute and chorus harmony vocals. Perhaps Kale knows what this tune was about. Kale, what is this track about? Well, of course, being separated from something important and having no control to change the situation. Other than that, I am pledged to secrecy. The next track, Ryan, is Northern Lights, written by Kale and Vetus. Here's what the guys told me. Vetus, co-written with Kale about a dear friend quite separated from reality. No drugs required. This was the track that forced us to give up mixing on the old Lyceum gear and establish an entirely new studio setup. Background vocals were getting stuck in our outmoded analog delay at the same time as the playback headstock on my Tascam 80 8 reel to reel finally wore through to the coils. We built our arrangement of this song around those technical circumstances which left the balance of a record to mix by other means. Here's Kale. What started out as a basic drum and rhythm track guitar sketch was, thanks to Monterey Studio Alchemy, trademark registered, turned into a great track, complete with an Eno-esque guitar solo. My favorite part was listening to the background vocal stuck in an infinite replay loop when we left the studio for a Tito's Taco run, and having the vocal loop waiting for us still wailing away when we returned to the studio an hour, an hour later. We affectionately refer to that vocal part as the Vienna Boys Death Choir. <laughs> this whole album, Ryan, to me just reeks of young men having a ball being creative in the studio. Yeah. And I mean, not shy about their influences, Yeah, but also totally original. Yeah. This one's weird, this song. Um, the Eno-esque solo, as Kale as uh, Kale calls it, assuming it was him who played it. Uh, the, the weird keys solo? Yeah, uh, I'm talking about the guitar solo. Okay. Yeah. It's super cool. Again, some real post-punk vibes. You know, you, you think of Vetus coming out of the last, or still in the last, maybe, when they made this? Sounds like not. Um, interest, interesting that they were kind of going in this direction. Very different from what the last were doing. I'll, you know, I'll be interested to, once we get to some of these tracks that were actually written for the last to see, you know, how the songs are different. Yeah, for me, this track is uh, a standout for sure. I love it. it. This jangly, spacey intro definitely reminds me of some of the work to come from bands like The Shins or Wedding Present, this track. Yeah. The next track is Harmona, written by Kale and Vetus. It starts with someone saying, just a hair, and then you can hear someone saying, shut up. So I asked Vetus what, what that was all about. He said, Kale was going to introduce the band to his brand new spoken vocal for the strange tune he called Harmona. He apologized in advance and politely requested a bit more reverb on his own voice in the cans. Some very rude producer type person responded via talkback, attempting to instill confidence. <laughs> so that's what that is. This, this track is the one that sounds like has a, a gang of four vibe to me for sure even some police yeah and david byrne type vocals with some rap vocals i think is what you're you're mentioning there some rap vocals on it i love this track just love it yeah i think the song title is a play on a girl named harmona and then coupled with like the harmonics on the guitar i think that's mm. kind of the concept that's what yeah. i that's just my assumption but yeah here's what vetus told me one of my favorite kale vocals, inappropriate use of synth strings in an effort to make the general public uncomfortable with our ghostly musical tale. So much for making a big splash on MTV. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Here's Kale. I came up with a song idea that was based on guitar string harmonics only. No chords, no individual notes, no lead parts. Why? Because a former bandmate had been criticizing my songwriting at the time, claiming too many chords or too many lead parts. The solution? Write a song on guitar with neither. Spoiler alert, he didn't like the harmonics idea any better, but it found a very welcoming home with Danny and the Doorknobs. So sounds like this was probably written for 100 Flowers, I'm guessing. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. But it's it's got it's got some serious Andy Gale vibes for me that I just love. Yeah. I think the the synth strings Vetus is talking about work really well, especially during that big crescendo in the middle of the song where it really builds up. I I I feel like, you know, what Kale's talking about with um you know, pushback from some, you know, some of his other songwriting partners in some other bands and Vetus, Vetus kind of saying the same thing about the last, I feel like this project was also born out of frustration for both Vetus and Kale. Mm, um, yeah. Having songs rejected by their, by the, you know, the last and hundred flowers, etc. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, you know, with some, uh, stronger personalities in those bands, who knows? Yeah. The next one is little things you don't know written by Vetus. I've probably said this before, I'm guessing, um, but sometimes Vetus's vocals remind me of Timothy Gasson of the Marshmallow Overcoat, rest mm. in peace. Yeah, yeah. Especially on tracks like this that has more of a have more of a 60s garage thing going on, which this does with the more traditional chord structure and the Farfisa sounding keys. Yeah, the vocals have a bit of a flange sound to them. Yeah. We should mention too, like, so tracks two through five on the CD are tracks A, like the A side tracks one through four on the LP. But now this track six on the CD is the sixth song on the B side of the LP. This this is when things start going a little crazy here, I would say. This is the one track too, when I was A being... I have the CD version of Trotsky Ice Pick Presents, and then I've got the Danny and the Doorknobs LP, and I'm ABing them. This is the one track that I started to notice, like, the CD sounds a bit slower hmm. than the LP, like the speed. And so then I, I also AB'd the CD against the 45, Whispering Glades and In Exile. And again, the CD sounds a bit slower than, and I checked, I checked this on more than one turntable as well. And as long as my strobes are right, it seems like the vinyl versions of these songs play just slightly faster than the CD. But I really noticed it on this track, Little Things You Don't Know. I like the end of this song where, he, where he says, all right, let's end this thing right here. Um, here's what Vetus told me. Lyrics left over from a song written back in high school where the activities of one Joe Nolte were closely monitored by our high school dean. On this recording, we included references to Hal, the unfortunate mainframe of 2001 A Space Odyssey. This song gained new purpose when John Frank joined the last and an entirely different feel developed. The same holds for so many earlier last chord progressions. Kale said, I think my contribution on this was rewinding the tape and hitting record for Vetus's overdubs. <laughs> okay, full cone excursion, which is credited to John Frank. We've seen stuff like this on other Trotsky albums, like on the baby bonus tracks or like the clowns on fire reprise, just kind of playing with the studio, the band playing with the studio. Yeah, this has a total Pink Floyd vibe for me, this interlude. This is the track on the LP that has that quote as the intro. Mm -hmm. So on the LP, this is the fifth track on the B-side. And it starts with that quote that kicks off track one of the CD. Yeah, it also um, closes out the version of the SST cassette and LP on versions. Closes outside oh. one. Ah, yeah. yes. Here's what the guys told me. Vetus, John Frank had briefly worked at a high-end audio shop where he learned that a blown speaker was merely the effect of a stretched voice co coil resulting from a full cone excursion. All right. 
As for the track itself, <laughs> this was Ethan James verifying John Frank's drum sound before we resumed, resumed recording backing tracks. Kale and I doodled along as John drummed for Ethan. Subsequently, we attributed this fine piece of sound to Mr. Frank. Kale, this track really captures the fun and wacky approach that was going on in the studio between the three of us. Even random, spontaneous noodles and sonic doodles coalesced into musical ideas that we turned into songs and sonic vignettes. The best part? John Frank had no idea that he wrote this piece and gave it the title until he heard the final sequence of the album. Oh man, that'd be so cool, hey? Yeah. <laughs> nice one. Okay, so the next one is called Love to Hate, written by Vetus. This track is on the Old Scratch LP. It is not on the SST reissued um, LP or cassette, only on the SST CD. Yeah, it's the last track on the A-side of the Old Scratch LP. Yeah. It's also on the new remastered version of the of the Danny and the Doorknobs record. So sure. people can hear it. Here's what the guys told me. We had rehearsed this one to record with the last and just plowed through it. This is Vetus. Weak vocals abound. Kale and I were used to providing background vocals in a much more forgiving live setting. I hope Vetus isn't talking about his vocals on this song. They're great. Um, Yeah. And you could totally hear this working in the last as well. Yeah, Vetus is always super harsh on his own vocals, but I love them. Yeah. Here's Kale. I felt bad that Vetus couldn't find a place in the last for this and other song ideas, but I was very happy that the doorknobs got their greedy little hands on them. Another Matare jewel. So I asked them why this was left off the LP, and here's an interesting answer I got from Vetus. He said, another cut with Rosewall on bass that got left off the original cassette. So this is the cassette they did before the LP, way back in like 1983 or whatever. This was one of the first songs we recorded as a three-piece. The tune had been attempted by the last, circa 1978, and was roundly rejected after some minor effort. Here it felt like old material, and we used it to warm up at Radio Tokyo. It was recorded back-to-back with the version of Because Love, also with Rosewall on bass, that got tossed onto the Hot Pop Hello outtakes comp which we'll be seeing on episode 286, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Here's what Vetus goes on. The tunes with John Wally Rosewall on bass were on a separate reel and got set aside as we assembled our original cassette release, which served as the basis for the old scratch gramophone LP version. Wally wasn't going to be a part of this outfit. Apparently being in the last was bad enough <laughs> <laughs> and made grad school at U. UC Davis sound inviting. So I guess Ryan, some of these tracks with John Rosewall, um, were not, were kind of left off that original cassette, which was the kind of the basis for the old scratch version. So I'm curious now, maybe there's even as another version of this fourth version. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know if they, you know, it was just a rough mix for that cassette just for them to listen to, or, you know, I think they gave it out to some friends or whatever, you know? Okay. Now we're on the start of side two of the SST LP and cassette. And we've got an exclusive track, not on the old scratch album, but it is on the, the digital remaster. And that's wooden legs with real feet written by Kale and Vetus. This one's a real scorcher. John Rosewall kind of just tearing it up on bass. Yeah. That's what I've got. The bass playing is just awesome. Yeah. Vetus told me uh, Ethan James came up with the t- with the title, and in my mind, it was always a a skate surf tune. Mm, this one for sure. Vita says, "Enter John Rosewall on bass, and on this one track, f- for which there is also an instrumental take, we should have focused on more of this type of Kale John Frank interplay. It's the highlight of the record for me, which is weird because they, you know, it was left off of." Um, the old scratch album. Yeah. Well, it's on here twice, sort of. Yeah, sort of. Here's Kale. Yes, I used to play rhythm guitar that fast. No, I cannot play rhythm guitar that fast now. (laughs) (laughs) Part of what made this album experience so liberating is that ideas like this were understood on an intuitive level and not endlessly critiqued. 
I found partners who wanted to go where I wanted to go and made songs like this sound better than I could imagine. Track 10 is Healing, written by Kale. This is an interesting song for me. Big time Jane's Addiction vibes. And this is years before that band even existed. Like, kind all of the ang- all the angsty screams in the background. Yeah, the kind of sl- slow psychedelic feel, the yelling parts, um, even Kale's vocal. I mean, he's got a much lower register than Perry Farrell. But if if you listen to this and imagine Perry Perry Farrell singing it, you know, even his delivery kind of reminds me of Perry Farrell. Actually, Kale's. Here's what Kale said about this: When done correctly, yelling is good. One Yell in Particular by Mr. Matare makes the song for me. And I think I know which yell he's talking about when I hear it. Yeah. Vetus, a track composed in the studio based on a chord progression, melody, and words Kale cooked up. From my perspective, the additional elements were provided by that same piece of failing analog outboard gear used here to treat loud yelling, guitar overdub, and ultimately even a Farfisa organ. Yeah, and the healing is track one on the B side, and then the next track is the second track on the B side of the old scratch record. Okay. The next song on the SST CD is Slow Motion, written by Kale and Vetus. Here's what the guy said Vetus, John Frank finally gets to overdub something. Kale is on eight string bass for the story of a very attractive woman looking at herself in the reflection of your window while correcting hair and makeup. Kale, eight-string bass as rhythm guitar. Fun stuff happens when you don't know how to play your instrument correctly. Thank you to the Swedes of Hagstrom for making the bass and to Hunt Sales for selling it to me. That eight-string bass kind of carrying the main riff of the song gives this one a unique feel, I would say. For sure. And some bongos on this track. Yeah, that must be the overdub, the John Frank overdub that Vetus is talking about. Love all the the overdubs on this, the kind of guitar harmonics. I'm assuming, you know, also there's this kind of sound we hear. Sounds like a cymbal crash that's maybe run through an effect of some sort. Interesting that Kale mentions Hunt Sales. I recently spieled about his killer solo album, Hunt Sales Memorial, Get Your Shit Together. We've talked a, a bit about Hunt, primarily a drummer. His his brother Tony was a bassist. Um, they famously played on the Mighty Eggs uh, Idiot Tour and, and on the Lust for Life album. Hunt does play some bass on, on that album too. I'm at, maybe it was this one that he played. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it almost sounds like 12-string guitar at yeah. times. Yeah. I'm thinking like, a, you know, Birds-esque 12-string Rick sound out of an eight string bass. Mm -hmm. Okay. The next one is the game. Here's Vetus inspired by an independent film documenting the poultry industry in our version, the feathered flock take their revenge. Kale plays all the guitar and bass parts. And here's Kale recipe, make noise on guitar while John Frank patiently plays away in the control room. Vetus fiddles with knob on outboard gear, processing the guitar. Add chicken and mix. Bake in oven for 45 minutes at 350 degrees. Let cool. So this one's written by Kale and Vetus. I love how they put this together. The dynamics, especially John's drumming for me. Um, the way he plays that kind of driving beat, keeping time with the guitar, but then accents it with the tom rolls and then comes in a bit more fully yeah, on the kit for the chorus. Yeah, for sure. There's like some serious roto-tom action, it sounds like. Yeah. It's got a wire and Mission of Burma feel for me that I just love. Yeah. You know, these guys always know the chorus is where the money is too. Like the the choruses always have hooks with these guys. Yeah. Not sure I would have picked out the inspiration for the the lyrics though, about the chicken chicken thing. Yeah, Chicken Revenge. And this is the third track on the B-side of the Old Scratch version. The next one. Track 13 on the SST CD is From a Quiet Heart, written by Kale. Here's Vetus. Lurch lands love. I contend this is inspired by Eno's work circa Warm Jets, but it's better to ask Kale who plays all the instruments on this. Kale. An odd character study using Eno's approach to lyrics. Sing along and pretend you are trying to sort out the words someone else is singing. 
working title given by Ethan James, Slumber Room Memorial, hence the lyric. Ah. This is just great. Super imp- impressive that Kale played everything. You can definitely hear the Eno influences they reference. It has that kind of lush sound to it, especially when the keys come in and then out of the blue, straight up, you know, just kind of straight up hooks at the end when Vetus is kind of takes over on vocals. It's, it's super short at the end and unexpected, but it's an interesting way to end the song. Yeah. I love fuzzed, out, fuzzed out guitar like Davey Alvin almost though. Yeah. I loved this song. This is one of my faves. Then we've got Wooden Legs Reprise written by Kale and Vetus. This one almost works better as an instro. Like I love the vocal version, um, but these guys are all such serious players. John Frank's kind of jazzy drumming. And this is awesome. Um, here's what the guys told me. J- Vetus, just ripping it up with Rosewall on bass, Kale on guitar, and John Frank's amazing drumming. I'm back on my Vox Continental through a Marshall Major 200. This was an, a moment of emotional release between other moody tracks. Someone got that look in their eye, and we were off. The ever-patient Ethan James named this track for us. And you can totally hear, like, you know, just listen to that tone at the end when um, Vetus has a chord ringing out on his on his Vox through the Marshall. Like, the tone is just unbelievable. This is not on the original Old Scratch, but it is on the, the digital remaster, by the way. Ah, uh, yes. And then the last track, Farewell by Kale and Vetus. So this is on the Old Scratch LP, but under a different title, Winds Change Again, which is also one of the lyrics in the song. As is Farewell. Like, I think it's like yeah. the last the last lyric on the last track of the B-side of the Old Scratch version. And this is just an abbreviated version. Yeah. Vetus said, so this track was substantially reworked as a closer for the SST release. Just love the tone of Kale's doubled acoustic guitars. So when he says reworked, for me, I, I kind of A-B'd them too. Um, it's got punchier guitars in the SST version, and the, the lead guitar that plays the melody in the second half of the song on the SST mix is taken out of the old scratch version, and it's sung by Vetus. Mm. He, in this, he doesn't sing it. He kind of plays the melody on guitar. The digital version of this uh, is the original Old Scratch version or or possibly another remix that's kind of closer to the first version. Yeah, it's a great track, though. I love the uh, I love the guitar and the, the rim shots on the drums. Awesome. Yeah. That's it. That's the record. I have a few reviews here, Ryan. Here's um, Andrea... Enthal from Spin Magazine, October 1986. She's talking about how Kale was in the urinals with uh, Kevin Barrett and John Telly Jones, how Vetus was in the last. Then she says, Kale Johansson then created Danny and the Doorknobs, a band with a slowly slinking, deep guitar, mystical idiot giggle, swelling pop chorus, and not a Danny in sight. In Exile shimmers bittersweetly under Vetus Monterey's soft, clear, and haunting slivers of flute, while Whispering Glades co-ops a British Invasion electric keyboard reminiscent of a circus calliope playing music to match the tear-faced clown. In Exile is also available on their Poison Summer LP, which, which adds the touch of funk 100 Flowers were known for to the knob's own hauntedly happy sound. And then she goes on here to talk about the, the Rad Waste album, Cooking in Nothingness. Mm, cool. Yeah. Here's Richard Foss from All Music. Danny and the Doorknobs were a sophisticated and intelligent pop band with a few interestingly rough edges, and the music on this album has more of a raw live sound than any of the subsequent releases. John Frank's drums were recorded very high in the mix. I don't know if I... Yeah, I wouldn't agree that. with that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And Madurai's vocals had more power and less of the mocking wry character that was the standard on later releases. Not sure I agree with that either. Yeah. 
The result was an energetic recording of innovative power pop with more than a hint of subtlety that the band would develop later. I don't know. I don't really think this is that different from the Trotsky stuff. No, I mean, it definitely sounds like it's, it could have been made by the same people, for sure. Yeah. It's not drastically different. The big difference is when John Telly Jones starts singing. For sure, yeah. Here's from a blog called Lost in Time, and I couldn't find the name of the author, author of this. The SST version of Danny and the Doorknobs is a fine piece of music that actually sounds completely foreign if you try to consider it in a 1983 context, the year it was recorded. The band was a trio at that point, featuring mainstays Vitas Matare and Kale Johansson. The music they presented didn't exactly fit in with any of the hardcore, punk, or even new wave of that period, nor does it sound dated listening to it 20 years later. The band hovers vaguely in the same post-punk territory as Mission of Burma, but also finds a way to sneak in keyboards without resulting to dance floor tactics. The resulting album is a fine, expansive work that is entirely too pleasant. Oftentimes jaunty, the 15 songs are well-written and well-performed. The opener, Whispering Glades, is a fantastic song, offering an intensely memorable melody and excellent interplay between all the musicians. Vocals throughout the album are shared by Matare and Johansson. Danny and the Doorknobs does share a touch of the sound featured in Johansson's 100 Flowers project. However, the punkier edge of the music is refined and given a, a much moodier approach that entirely works out. Despite all the silliness surrounding the band name changes and confusion that may result in trying to figure out Trotsky Icepick's discography, Danny and the Doorknobs is a sparkling debut that seemingly has been far too overlooked by the indie and post-punk listening world. And then here's from a blog called Willfully Obscure. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's have you ever checked out that blog? That oh, yeah. blog rules, man. Yeah. Yeah. He says he or she, I think it's a he, Spavid is who this is credited to. My thoughts are as follows. Poison Summer is an offbeat, non-deliberate pop album with an obscure ap appeal that falls a few notches shy of avant territory. Textured, subtle, and occasionally contemplative, its minor key aesthetics are engaging. That is, if you're willing to invest a few concerted spins. Throughout, I detect negligibly faint traces of Volcano Suns, Japan, Wire, Pylon, monochrome set, and early REM, but your results are sure to vary and likely to be way off course from mine. Not really. That's pretty close to what I was thinking. Yeah. The artwork, Ryan. So the digital version uses the artwork from the original old scratch cover. Mm -hmm. I actually prefer the original artwork to the SST version myself. It has a photo of the three guys in, in black and white on some cactus-covered hills on a ranch or something. You can see a a small barbed wire fence behind them. You can pick out Vetus in the middle of the three because of his long hair, but it's kind of oh, yeah. it's kind of in, often in the distance. This photo by Don Brown and the uh, the liner has got a uh, picture as well. Yeah, yeah. The original has a one sided insert. Great photo of the band. It's kind of on this yellow paper, and there's dead wax on the the old scratch version, which we've mentioned is on clear vinyl. Side A says, do the Trotsky. And side B says, pick heads, call 213-395-1336. Whoa, I wasn't going to read the whole number. Well, they put it out there, so, yeah, you know, okay. maybe I'm All doxing right. somebody, I'm not sure. I was, I was thinking that, I was thinking <laughs> that. Yeah, that same picture, though, that's on the single-sided yellow, that's on the insert of the SST version. Yeah. And the SST version leverages the the in exile whispering glades uh single artwork that is done by felice yeah yeah vetus's sister felice so it's it's more consistent with the other trotsky artwork that we've seen the skeleton in the coffin looks very similar to the cover of of poison summer um you know we've got those cacti same as we've seen on Poison Summer. Now kind of the, the labels logo. Yeah. We've got some spiders, some snakes. The single has some dead wax as well. Want to hear that? Hell yeah. The A-side says, 
in exile. Mm-hmm. And the B-side says, Whispering Glades. <laughs> because the label has no writing on it. Hmm. It's just uh, green and blue. And then on the single, there's like a blue sticker on the uh, on the actual like printout. Yeah. The pa- paper sleeve, there's a blue sticker next to the words In Exile. And a green sticker next to Whispering Glades. And that matches the blank blue and green mm-hmm. labels on the single. Cool. But the single has the songs on the uh, the Dead Wax. Mm-hmm. Also mastered, though, uh, by John Golden. Hmm. Yeah, no idea if there's Dead Wax on the SST LP. Yeah, me either. Ballot result? Yeah, man. Ballot result. There's a lot yeah. to choose from on this one, for sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna really go for Harmona. I love that track. Hmm. Yeah, that wasn't on my list. My mine were Whispering Glades, Little Things You Don't Know, Wooden Legs with Real Feet, Slow Motion, The Game, and From a Quiet Heart. So half the record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I love yeah. this record. I love yeah, all the Trotsky stuff, man. Yeah, it's good. We can do Harmona. Yeah, let's do it. I love it. I love it how there's like I don't know why it's the uh, the rap vocals. It's just so it's so crazy in like 1983, 1984 to write a song like that. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it's like maybe it's maybe it's my love of the Clash uh, of you know who are kind of like experimenting with that type of vocals at the time. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I love this Trotsky stuff, man. I so excited that there's more more to come three more yeah hey and thanks to to vetus and kale for sending us their thoughts and for like sending us actual stuff as always man the the patron saints of our podcast man cal and vetus thanks so much yeah patron saints yeah ryan what's next week next week brant apparently is an opal release but i think we've got something else cooking yeah Yeah, a little uh, (laughs) cryptic teaser. Well, can't wait. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is MoJackPod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.